Listening Dog Media. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Possibly bleak as this. They pulled the rabbit out of the hat again. The city is still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. The offside rule exclusives. With Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. We're very kindly joined by Martin Tyler. And this is a very different podcast for us because usually we've had people who are currently playing in football or managing. But of course, the football stories you've got, uh, we couldn't resist coming along to Woking and having a chat. I wondered, first of all, when you when you very first picked up a microphone. Gosh, you're stretching me now. It's a long time ago. Mm. I wasn't trained as a broadcaster. I never really expected to go into broadcasting. I've obviously at times thought back in my more wistful moments as to why it happened, how it happened. I remember being asked to do a hospital radio broadcast before I did my first um, television test, really. I did a couple of those before my first actual television broadcast. It was in, I can tell you the game, I think it was about 1974, it was early in 74, it was a cup tie between West Ham and Hereford, and a friend of mine who was a a professional cricketer, Jeff Howarth, captain of New Zealand and a a flatmate of mine, he he knew somebody, um, I think connected with his girlfriend who ran the hospital radio at West Ham, and they had two or three people who did it, but on this particular day, and one, they were short. And somehow <laughs> I got recommended to do 
to go. And, and I had, you know, I was working in football then. I'd been playing non-league football prior to that. So I'd been coached by some very good people. So I always had my views on it. And I was fascinated by the game at the top level. So, yeah, I went and did it. I don't know quite how it went. It was a very unusual experience because I'd say I'd done no broadcasting. But I sat next to another guy and we did th got through the game. I think it might have been a, a, a draw, I think. Hereford were a bit of a surprise team. I know that West Ham played them a few times around that time, but it wasn't one of the great giant-killing days, but it was a Saturday afternoon. So that was the first one. The second one was I asked if I could go to um, a game that LWT were covering. I was working for LWT on the big match and on the ball. I got my chance in television through, I guess in those days, who you knew rather than what you knew. But we worked a system. It was very, it was great. It was fantastic. The big match and on the ball were really big. The, on the ball became the Saint Greavesy later on, because um, you two are you too young to remember any of this. Um, and we worked a system where we worked so hard over two weekends, we got the third weekend off. So in fact, there were three people doing jobs for two really. And so on that third weekend in I think October 1974, I asked if I could go to the game which ITV were covering, London Weekend were covering, which was Arsenal against QPR. And I took something not dissimilar to what we're talking to now. Uh, it was obviously a, um, a 1974 version of it. And recorded a commentary. Just, I don't know, I, I'm sure I never thought it would lead to anything that has happened. But, of course, being in television, I played it back to somebody who had some influence. Um, not that I did it for influence. I just wanted to know what they thought. And um, he was a guy called Bob Gardham, who was the top director of uh, ITV for many years. A very uh, um, a once met, never forgotten guy. And uh, of course, my gratitude to him when I finish off the story um, is immeasurable because about three weeks later, Southern Television, as they were called, Meridian now, rang up and they said, we were short of a commentator for one game. Do you know anybody? Because everybody else is working. I was in the office when this call came in and you know sometimes you get a sixth sense of what's going on and I thought, oh my God, he's going to talk about me. And half of me was going, please talk about me and the other half was going, please, for God's sake, don't talk about me because I've got no experience. Anyway, he did and they said, well, we'll take a chance. We need to hear him again. So I did a proper test and on December the 28th, 1974, they wheeled me in for my first ever television game. And the Christmas, I mean, we're obviously talking at this time now around Christmas, and I couldn't eat my turkey. I, I was sick to my stomach for three or four days. I had no experience. I wasn't a broadcaster. But, you know, I played some football, and, and I'd got some belief in, in I, I love for the game. I think that was the most important thing. He said to me at the end, he said, well, old boy, well done, old boy. Um, we've got another one in a couple of weeks. Would you like to do that? And my payoff line is, ever since then, people have been saying, we've got another one, <laughs> hopefully in a couple of days, you know, rather than a couple of weeks, and it kicked on from there. Mm -hmm. um, and then John Motson, um, before, I knew John because I was working behind the scenes in television, I'd met him, and I've still got it at home, and you won't even know what this is, I got, he sent me a telegram. Obviously, oh, wow. Uh, so I've got it, it's a, the piece that was actually in an envelope delivered to me, and it said, good luck. Talk little, but say a lot. <laughs> and I thought that was wonderful advice. And I've always been grateful to Motti for, for taking an interest then. And we've gone on, on parallel careers, really. So It's a fascinating story. And I just wonder, part of me wonders, what did you want to do when you were a lad? How different is it to what you ended up doing? 
I wanted to be in the team photo on this wall at Woking Football Club. I wanted to play for Woking. I wanted to play professional football. And now, at the age of 73, having come here as an eight-year-old, I'm finally on the team photo. Mm. <laughs> as assistant manager here at, here at Woking, I know Lindsay started off with, we normally speak to players and managers. I'm thinking, hang on, we've got a manager here. Well, an assistant. It kind of uh, might uh, be a roundabout sort of way that, that uh, you got here, but you're here. The nearest I've got to... Uh, working for the BBC, balls, bibs and cones. That's the, <laughs> the job of mine at training nights, making sure everything's set up for the players when they come out. Yes, it, I, I did want to play. I wanted to play both football and cricket. In those days, that was what uh, sport was, mm. you know, cricket in the summer, football in the winter, and, and they didn't really overlap too much. And there were players who, um, you know, famous players like Dennis Compton, people like that, played played for Arsenal and, and played cricket for England. And they, they were sort of my, my role models, really. Um, my background is much more cricket than football. There was no football in my family at all. But my mother's side of the family, I was born in Chester, and my mother's side of the family all played cricket for Cheshire and the minor counties. They were very good cricketers. And so I grew up a little bit with, they taught me a lot about the ethics of sport, mm. how to win and lose properly. You know, that was something that was drummed into me. You do that with dignity. And I can't say I've been a slave to that, but I've tried really hard always to, um, you know, finish off games, handshake and do the right thing, you know. And we're certainly doing that when Watford come to, to play us. And we try and do everything the right way. And that's Alan Dowson, who's the manager I've worked with for the last 12 years. And the, the man who f foolishly has taken me um, into this world alongside my parallel life as a commentator. Um, he's always done things the right way. And that's the only reason I've been able to stay with him. Because, you know, you, you girls know from our broadcasting expectations that you can't get embroiled in anything that's underhand or something that you're, you're ashamed of. How does that relationship work with Douse, as you call him? Or as everyone calls him, I think. Yeah, everybody refuses to answer to Alan. <laughs> um, there was one player at one of the clubs who deliberately called him Alan all the time to wind him up. It works that he's a very talented manager with a lot of drive and determination, but every manager needs a bit of help. And I come very cheap. I, I've never taken a penny from any of the clubs that we, we've worked at because obviously I'm very blessed to have a, an income from, from a, a job that I'm very lucky to have as well. So uh, I, I just try and fill in the gaps for him, really. I mean, he's the driving force. It was never meant to happen. If we're talking about things working fortuitously or we're talking about destiny, where does ambition come into it? Because... I think Lindsay and I notice sometimes as well being, you know, ourselves, I'm over 40, Lindsay's approaching 40 and, and we are able to sit back and notice the new generation of broadcasters coming through and often how hungry and how ambitious they are and how a lot of it's about promoting yourself. That's, I, I, I know exactly the point you're making because I'm not on social media. Um, I can understand why people are. I really can. Uh, there are two reasons on it. One, I don't have the time to, if you like, live up to the expectation of having a, a Twitter account. And two, I know myself too well that something, and it might not be about me, it would be, be something in the world, and I would snap at and I would definitely make myself look an absolute prat by a knee-jerk reaction. And I just don't trust myself to be in a position to do that. 
Um, so the rants go to my kids or Douse <laughs> or whoever I'm <laughs> spending time with, Gary Neville or something. We, 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 we go, wow, how can, how can he? And, and what do you rant about there? Because you seem so calm. Your commentary is exciting, but it's always, you, you always seem very much in control of whatever's going on, measured. So between us, <laughs> what gets your goat? Injustice. Yeah, is that partly to do with the way you you were brought up as well? Because often yeah, I find that I was I was brought up in the in the in the post-war years where you know everything on television was the good guys beating the bad guys. I liked that; it resonated with me. I do. I, I mean, there's not always justice in football. We can play really really well and lose, and I think that's hard. When I'm commentating, I like the team that plays well to win. Yeah, you know, that's probably the nearest thing I have to a personal opinion on it, because I think if you if you do well and and some, sometimes the real drama is is something that that is a bit unjust. I mean, it was tough, for example, in recent memory. It was very tough on Everton, the nature of the goal and the fact that a goal came in so late to rob them from getting something from Anfield. The strangest goal I mean, passing. Uh, you think you well, one thing that reminds you of you've never seen everything that can happen in football because I've never seen a goal in all the football matches that. I've been involved in as a fan, as a player, as a coach, as a commentator. I've never seen a goal like that. So uh, I was quite pleased that I actually saw it because when Virgil van Dijk kicked the ball up in the air, you thought, well, that's it, game over. Um, I think everybody in the ground on the pitch thought game over, except Divock Origi, and great <laughs> credit to him. To well, he, he, he didn't just happen to yeah. be there. He, he saw, the, saw what was happening and got the reward for it. So... Um, no, it's. Uh, I just try and judge things as they happen, and I try to be very fair. I think that's all. All really, that's the bottom line. I, you should ask of a commentator is to be fair, um, and that's probably the, if anybody ever says that I think you're fair, that's the nicest thing that I would have said about me because I know people say I support all these various teams. I categorically, you've got people in this stadium where we're talking now who will t- back up my my true. Um, claim that I've been a Woking fan since I was eight years old. It shouldn't matter though, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, even if you were a fan of another team, and I know that Manchester United is one that is thrown at you all the time, it shouldn't matter because that is your passion in your spare time or and well, that, this is your job. I've just I, I told you about social media. I, I would bridle at that. And, and the Daily Telegraph did a wonderful thing after the League Cup final, the EFL Cup final, a couple of years ago when they printed two tweets one said, the most biased commentary in favour of Manchester United I've ever heard. And the other one said, they're playing Southampton, said the most biased commentary in favour of Southampton I've ever heard. <laughs> Both different tw- Twitter accounts and they printed them out. And I thought, that's really kind of you to do that because that's the way people see it. And I have no issue with people having opinions about what I do. They're, they're quite entitled to think that. But um, I'm not I'm not a fan of any Premier League. <laughs> it seems to be a, a, a given that you have to have a Premier League team. Well, I don't. And it's, it's, it's helped my work a lot. The harder, hardest part about bias, if you like, is, and I'm sure you find it the same, is you get to know people. Mm-hmm. And you want them to do well. And I, occasionally, I, one story I can tell you is if you listen to it, and I think it's on YouTube, I was very tight with, with my non-league background as a fan and as a player, and now as a coach. When Ricky Lambert got in the in the, in the Premier League with Southampton, 
I was thrilled. I'd seen him on the way up. I remember doing a game at Bristol Rovers when he scored, and I just thought it was a wonderful story, a great example to everybody. And then, so our first game of that particular season, the Manchester City, the defending champions, and they get Southampton, who've just been promoted, Manchester City v Southampton in August, whenever it was. So I go down to watch, as I do in, in my prep, I go down to watch Southampton train, and I see Ricky, and I was, that's great. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm only sub on I'm not going to start. So the game happens, and, and you know the story. He comes on a sub, four minutes later he scores. If there's any bias in my work, listen to that commentary. <laughs> I was thrilled for him, absolutely thrilled for him. And uh, that that's where, yeah, a personal feeling might, might come into it. But I promise you, I've commentated on Woking games, actually, and, and certainly not been biased in that. It's easy when you... It's just two teams on the pitch. Afterwards, yeah, you, you feel a bit. They, they they beat Millwall away, actually. Clive Walker of Chelsea. So I'm Chelsea TV now. I see him a lot, Clive. who was had a spell here at the end of his career, scored the winner at, uh, at Millwall, and we did it live on Sky Sports. And I suppose when I said the final score, it might have had a little bit of warmth in it. But the game, I promise you, was was mm. called, probably, the, if anything, I, I favoured uh, I favoured Millwall mm. because you try to do that to make sure people don't think you're biased. You know. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV, for exclusive video football content. Let's talk about firsts. And your first World Cup would have been 1978, I believe. Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, we were, there was no recording facilities, so we had to find out about these teams, you had to go and see them. So we were given £500 each, the four of us, to go around Europe to watch some of the teams play. Um, because they all, and funny enough, the competition was Argentina, and Mexico, my first game, Mexico versus Tunisia, was my very first World Cup finals commentary. And by a complete stroke of good fortune, Mexico were playing at a German club site. Why? I, I never bothered to find out. <laughs> anyway, I went to the game, it was in Bochum um, in Germany, and I watched the game, and in, in that game they got a penalty, Mexico. And uh, the penalty taker was the captain, Vasquez Ayala, his name was. So after the game, I still didn't recognise them all. And, of course, they hadn't all played. So the next thing you do as a commentator is you hover, um, skulk, if you like. You lurk around looking to see them and, and, and maybe... And then they were waiting to get the bus back to their hotel. And I saw Vasquez Ayala... And 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 I, for some reason, I said to him, "Penalty always that one." Pigeon Spanish. I don't know whether he understood a bit of English. Always, he said, "I always put my penalties that side." Well, thirty minutes into my very first game, <laughs> Mexico get a penalty, and I took a deep breath and said, "Well, I've seen him take a penalty, and he always puts it to the goalkeeper's left," and then held my breath, and he did, he did. And that was my very first goal in the World Cup. And I prepped for it by the diligence that I would recommend anybody who wants to follow in the footsteps of any of us commentators. If you do, if you put the work in, it's no guarantee. It's like playing. If you train hard, you should play well, but you don't always. But that was, I always tell that as a story that um, they, uh, if you like, attention to detail. And then wanting to talk to them, you know, wanting to not just say, oh, I can recognize you. You know, what what is it? Sometimes it's... It's uh, easy to have some... It was, it was a bit easier in those days to, to find players to talk to. But, um, yeah, that's the story for you anyway. Is it enough like that these days? Because we can access so much on YouTube, so much is available online. And, you know, I completely credit you with still doing 
proper research, going to watch the teams play, is there a danger that we're, there's, there's so much instantly accessible to us now that that side of the skill of being a commentator will be lost? I, I do YouTube research mm. and... If I get a team where I really, you know, may, I still work on the Champions League for the world feed, you know, so we don't win out a bit more at Sky, as you know. Um, so I, I may be not, not have the opportunity. We do these games off tube, as it said. For those listening, that's from a monitor in a studio where you pretend that you're there. Well, you, you don't pretend. It's pretty easy to do. Mm. It's not as hard as it. You, think you, you, you look at your monitor when you're actually at the game sometimes. Mm. So, um, so I might do. A, I might get a team where I've not seen them for a while, and and you can go player by player, and I and I use it. I would look at their skills, and then I'd ask for an, on the on the search. I'd search for an interview, so you'd really see them in their face, um, and and also get a little bit. Obviously, some of the interviews are done in English for the foreign players anyway, um, and so I, I think it's a good tool. Um, yeah, if you can get to the game, but the games come so thick and fast. You remember in those days when I'm talking back in the seventies, I might do. Uh, one game every two weeks or something like that. You know, maybe when I was at York Stadium, it'd be one game every every Saturday, but you'd have the whole week to research it. And maybe because of a lot of lower division football, they'd be playing on the Tuesday. I travel up and down. I, I, I used to go through a car a season. You know, cars weren't so good in those days as they are now. A bit like Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I just diesels w- run longer now. Yeah, they do. It? Yeah, but they, they don't break down as much as they used to. But I used to, I used to just. I was, I'm the least mechanical person in the, in the, <laughs> alive, I think. So, hotline to the AA. Yes, it, well, it was, yeah. And uh, but at the end of the season, I always changed it because it was falling mm. to bits. So yeah, we did a lot. More. It, it, listen, use what's available. That would be my tip. And 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 the the internet is brilliant. I mean, I, I, I'd be stupid to say I don't use it. I'm curious to know, being that your career is so long and experienced, who you've taken great interest who or perhaps a team or even perhaps the style of play the way the game's now played what have you followed with interest throughout your career where there's been a significant difference what or or who I I think I I like to see the good in all of it you know I mean I'm six foot three and I was a non-league centre forward I love players like that because I I know how difficult it was for me to try and achieve anything at that. I was thrilled last week when Southampton scored with three headers. I know that's all I could do. That was my big skill and and I think it's changed in the game but the football has changed. Um, The game has evolved. It's much more of a passing game. I get a little bit concerned about the playing from the back um, because only Premier League players on Premier League pitches, I think, can do it. Um, and if you're a kid thinking I should play like John Stones, for example, and you play in your local team and you're 10 years old and you think oh, that's the right way to play and you lose the ball three times, the opposition score three times, you may never play football again because at that age it will break your heart. And I do think we've got to be careful in trying to replicate some of the um, some of the, the, the very top level of playing. It's almost like a different game, and they're wonderful at it. And, and I don't have have any issues about commentating on it or admiring it. But I do. I am concerned in in, in the coaching side of it that it's, it's just not maybe the. I mean, we've got professional players here at Woking. 
we do not play from the back because the pitches aren't good enough. And we love it if the opposition do because we think we can pounce, you know, not because you know, the, the, the players we're playing against aren't skillful enough, but one little bobble on the non-league pitch and you're in. You nick the ball and you're 30 yards from goal. Uh, and, and so I think that that's a concern I have. But no, I just admire them. I, I, it's what I wanted to do and was never quite good enough to do. Not even never, not even quite good enough. Never good enough to do. You joined Sky in 1990. Of course, you're still there now. And we'll talk um, in a little bit about the sort of latter part of your career. But I wanted to ask about Keys and Gray and the change in football, really, when it comes to considering women, from women broadcasters to looking at women's football. How did you interpret the Keys and Gray situation? And if our listeners aren't familiar, they um, had, had a bit of a go at female linesman saying that she didn't know the offside rule. That also was the birth of a podcast as well. But how did you feel about that happening to your fellow professionals? It's a very difficult subject for me to talk about because obviously I worked very, very closely with with both of them. Strangely enough, yesterday, as we speak yesterday, um, we went, um, we played Maidstone United away with Woking and and that year, that day, uh, the day of uh, when Andy was sacked, I was at Kingstonian coach driving to play Maidstone United away. And that was the first time since. And, and Dowse actually flagged it up because I got to the ground, um, you know, in a state of obviously some shock, really, because what had happened had happened very quickly. Um, I, can't, I, I can't sit here and say that um, it was the wrong decision on a personal level Andy Gray to commentate with was he balanced me off unbelievably I mean we always did role reversal because the commentator if you like the play-by-play guy which is me is supposed to shout and scream and the co-commentator is supposed to be cool and analytical and we were the other way around you know Andy was the one going to take a bow son of huge, huge levels. I haven't really talked about it before. It, it, it's, it's, it's a painful subject because, um, you know, t- two lives were changed dramatically and I saw the pain. And I, Andy's spoken quite recently, quite publicly, about how, how he was close to, uh, you know, suicidal feelings about because it happened. It was, it was so... Was such a deep happened so quickly. On the other hand, I do understand, and I saw at first hand some of the reasons behind it. Um, Sean Massey is still running the line very, very well today, yeah. which is yeah. great credit. And she, she, she didn't instigate any of it. She was just, just part of it. I think the world is a better place if some of these things happen and. There will be people who perhaps shouldn't necessarily be victims of it, but because the world needs to improve, and I do think it's improved, I I think it's massively improved, Um, whether they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. Their defence would be everything that they said was with good humour and fun. I can say from personal experience, because even some of it was directed at me, that it wasn't always good humour and fun. But I genuinely believe that's they, they thought that. So I don't want to um, to slag off too 
wonderful professionals who are still working and who have hopefully taken on board a lot of why why things went wrong for them um, but it was it was a big change at the time and I can only compliment Sky they've found the right guys to, to take over and Rich and Andy have, have found another tree to get to the top of and credit to them for that and I'm sure they're older they're certainly older I'd like to think they're wiser and it made everybody sit up and take notice and, and that was an issue and there have been issues in recent times and you know I, I do think um, inclusivity is a really important thing I've grown up with women in football all the time, you know, whether they, they, they've maybe not been broadcasters when I started, but they've been club secretaries and they've been around the game and, and they've been very much a part of what we, you know, what we regard as the football industry. So um, I'm sure it wasn't meant as disrespectfully as it came out, but it did come out very disrespectfully. Let's bring it on to commentating, actually, and bring it into your sphere. Why do you think there has been so much resistance to a female voice commentating in football? It seems there's been acceptance in areas like reporting and on-screen faces presenting. But when it comes to commentary, there still is that resistance. We had Jackie Oatley with Match of the Day some years ago. We had this World Cup where we saw Vicky Sparks introduced. And there still seems to be that backlash. I'm not so sure you're right. Um, I think one of the issues is always said that the female voice doesn't lend itself quite to the, I suppose, the, the gravitas, if you like, and that's only part of commentary, um, that, that it, it's a different pitch. And it f- part of being a successful broadcaster is getting over the hurdle from being a new voice to being a comfortable voice. And once you do that, you get away with a lot more mistakes because people go, oh, well, your voice is associated with it. I've been privileged to have my voice associated with, with football and, and obviously there are many other people we can name with different sports. Um, so I think it's, it's getting people used to it. So the only way that's going to happen is regular commitment. And I'm disappointed too. I, I have to declare an interest here. I know Vicky Sparks because her sister is my daughter's best friend. So I knew Vicky. Before, well, she was actually, when I first met her, I met her up in the northeast, and, and we talked about all these things a few years ago now, but she hadn't made any, any, any national impact. But I could tell um, she had strong views about the game. I, I was probably talking to her about the game I was going to commentate on the next day. She was doing commentary on non-league football at Gateshead and places like that. Um, so... I was really taken by her whole football personality as well. She, she's a very nice person as well, but 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 her broadcastability. And I've been actually banging the drum for her around wherever I've gone. She has one slight of her voice is a little bit deeper than than some of the other girls really. And I I do think that she's probably got the best chance of of regular you know, of, of of getting into that sort of zone where we just think, oh, that's Vicky. It's football, you know. Um, I really think it's it's mostly that. I don't deal with ratings. I don't deal with um, viewers' complaints unless they're about me. <laughs> and obviously I have to deal with them then. But I wonder whether some of the girls who come into it 
see greater value. I mean, Alex Scott's been amazing. I mean, she's gone from being a player to being pundit, just like, if you like, Gary Neville. She's another right back. Maybe the right backs are the ones that should be doing this. But um, I wonder whether she could do commentary, you know? I mean, some people are suited to it and some people are... I mean, temperamentally, not in any other way. For some people, uh, the prep is too much and the being on screen is what makes them have a glow. And Alex certainly has a fantastic glow on screen. So... um, I think it will happen. I, I don't see any reason at all why it shouldn't. I mean, people say the wrong thing. Plenty of men say the wrong things at the wrong time on television. I'm, I'm one of them. And, and you know, nothing's said, really. Oh, well, maybe maybe it's said, but not, it's not a sexist thing. It's just a, a particular personal criticism. So I, I think the door is there. I don't think the door is shut. It's really just somebody needs to perhaps pull it back from the inside as well as a, 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 a woman commentator barge through it, you know. The Offside Rule exclusives are available to download for free via Audio Boom and iTunes. How much do you see the landscape changing in terms of the influx of women in, in the media, ethnic minorities, which are being brought through at a fast pace as well because it's been so behind the times? I think the world is, is improving I do think in, in terms of, you know, the, the approach to, say, racism, we've had the Raheem Sterling stuff recently, and we think, well, that, we've moved on from that, haven't we? But no, we haven't. Something, something happens like that. But it is rarer, and it's also actually and notice, noticeably older people. Mm. But, uh, and, and I talked to Brian Henderson, the cricket um, producer at Sky, and I love cricket, and I, I've, um, I've worked... Uh, I've, watched a lot of his work and we talked because I, I and the the girls in the cricket are unbelievable I think they're the best example and he, and he's had a go at football saying well I think you should do more and I think more is being done you know but the 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 interesting thing about the the cricket commentators they some they they've worked in cricket as well they have their positions of authority their coaches in cricket and I think that gives them that kind of depth of knowledge I'm I, I'm constantly amazed um, how good they are and how um, how they live in the man's world total equality and, and the men accept it as total equality in football I think it's been a bit slower but it's well on the move and, and Sky are playing a big part in it and I think you know the fact that we're having this conversation you've had careers and you, you, you will tell me I should be asking you really about how difficult it's been for you and how has it improved I mean has it has it improved for you too in the course of um, yeah, I mean, I, I think. Please tell me yes, <laughs> because otherwise I've just wasted my breath. No, I mean, I, I mean, I think for for Kate and I, our generation definitely benefited more than the generation ten years mm. older than us, compared to the ten years older than that, compared to the ten years older than that. And I think the real positive thing for us is, although we may not have got everything handed to us. Um, there's definitely been a lot of barriers that have needed to be broken uh, down. Do you think the men have had it handed to them? Um, I don't think it's been handed, but I think it's just been it's it's been easier. It has been easier for for men who wanted to go down the same route. I mean, and that's just a numbers game. That's just by looking at a press room and seeing how many men are in there and how many women. You know, from that point of view, that's a numbers game, isn't it? I think, in answer to that question about whether it's easier for the men, I think there are less barriers for a man to get into broadcasting and particularly fronting shows or there have been, than women. So back in our day, which is 15, 20 years ago almost, 
there were often reasons why a woman wouldn't be put in front of a camera behind a desk but there were never really those questions about men. I, I tell you the biggest thing that's changed, and that's what I would want to encourage people who listen to our podcast, who listen to you and your experience, is it's about the knowledge. And I think women for a long time weren't seen as experts. They were just seen as a bit of eye candy um, to sit next to the men who were experts, for instance, in a television. Well, I think some of the men were eye candy as well, I mean, in terms of that they got on because they looked good on the screen. And, and I'm sure... I could name you quite a few that probably aren't there for that reason, though. <laughs> no, but yeah. I've, I've never... No, I've, I don't I, think so. No. No, well, I, don't, I don't think... I don't don't think, you know, men and eye candy. I mean, it's, it's, it's different because, for example, I've never worked in a sport capacity for the BBC. I've only ever worked at Sky and at other organisations and at football clubs. And I can honestly say in my experience that, that there was never a case of, well, we'll get so-and-so on because they're eye candy. Maybe we'll get, you know... Mr. X on because he's an ex-player um, and he's well known or he's got a good social media following. Um, but but as I said, often there were more obstacles in front of us as women. Her nose is too big. She talks out the side of her mouth. I don't like the way her hair is. Often obstacles like that. And I'm talking early days now, perhaps not, yeah, you know, perhaps I, I, not recently. I'm sure you're right. I, I wouldn't disagree with you, but I've known people and I, maybe I'm one myself. I've, I'm not on camera very much and I've never really had the desire I think presenting is a different skill altogether and I'm an out and about person mm. you know I'm, I'm at my most comfortable in the football ground I could come here and bring my laptop and work in the football ground because I, I really feel I, so, I sort of belong but I've known decisions made on people we can't put him on you know, he, he won't do pieces to camera. And so I do think there's a bit of that. I, I agree. I, I'm, sh I'm sure the stand, the bar's set higher um, when, when it comes to choosing ladies on the screen. But I see many more the knowledge level. I mean, I was thinking about, I thought Hayley might be here today. Who, who could... I grew up in a no football in my house. She grew up with a dad who I had loved to bits, by the way. Gordon played a big part in helping me as a player when um, when I saw a lot of him. And I worked with him as a co-commentator as well. So the, the amount she learned about football and, and not, not just how the game's played, but the lifestyle. And that's very important to know how and when to address people. One of the great skills, I think, for football reporters is to pick your moment to speak, particularly after match. Matches. And, and, and the, our after-match reporters have a, have a put your, uh, I mean, Mourinho's last ever interview on, on Sky Sports, Jeff Shreve's, uh, you, you put your head above the parapet going in there to do that. And, and, and I think people like Hayley, well, that, that, she'd know exactly how and when to speak because mm -hmm. she's seen her dad in so many situations as a coach as well as a, as a player. So I think that background actually can help people as well. And, and that, that kind of knowledge is not the knowledge perhaps that, that, um, that we're talking about, about sort of studying the game, but just smelling it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I always, people say, well, how do you prepare for a game? And I, I spoke to, funnily enough, yesterday, it was written up on the board in the office we just come out, uh, Martin at West Byfleet Primary School, uh, 9.30, 18th of December. And that's my old primary school. 
And I was there in a group of eight-year-olds talking about commentating when somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Mourinho has been sacked, you know. And so that, that's um, – I, I discussed that with eight-year-olds and, and they knew and they knew what, because they, 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 they're exposed to football now. And there were girls and it was mixed, you know. The, the, uh, the best girl commentator is on Chelsea's books as a whatever you can be at eight years old, nine years old, but trained with Chelsea so she knew what she was talking about and, and they'd, what they'd actually done is filmed the game that they played in before I got to the school and they played it on as you would with all the technology you know? they played the match for them to commentate on their own match and I'm looking at the match and thinking oh, she's good and that's another thing that's helped I think in football the quality of, uh, of women's football has improved so much um, I, I remember doing an international in the early years of Sky England against Italy I think it was the Italians were really good England weren't so good um, and, and there were things in the game that you go, it's not going to work, this is never going to catch on. Those things have been eliminated, the athleticism, um, the desire, the ambition of the players, the professionalism of it. It's a really good work. My, my, actually, my son goes to watch more. He, he, he always goes to the Women's Cup finally. He's grown up with football, and he can come to Woking any time he wants. Um, and the, when he was young, I used to take him to, to work, and he'd sit, sit with a sub sometimes, <laughs> which he, he, I don't think he realised at the time. He realised he's now, what a privilege was. Uh, Carnu scored a hat trick, a famous hat trick for um, for uh, Arsenal at Chelsea. Um, and like it was commentating and it was pouring with rain and at the end of the game he'd, he, got, he got soaked I know how old he'd be 12 or 14 they gave him Carney's tra- tracksuit top <laughs> uh, which still exists in our house I think somewhere <laughs> and he was a little boy and this massive uh, thing around it so um, I know I, I know why we've got onto this subject all I can say is from where I sit at Sky Sports everybody wants to see the diversity everybody wants to see the inclusivity but you've got to be good enough and that and that's that's the ones that have broken through and you you too have applied your trade so successfully you're good enough and, and I wouldn't want if, if 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 my skills fail me I don't want to be there just because I'm I'm somebody who's been around for a while I, I shouldn't be there you've got to play for your place that's what football teaches you it is a truly wonderful game played by very good people and by elite sports people and honestly you know you've asked me a lot about myself I still have to pinch myself to believe that I'm a part of it thank you for your time no thank you I'm I'm honored to be part of it and I'm you know I can only wish more power to you and to Hayley and to the podcast and to all of those who are trying to follow in your footsteps The Offside Rule Exclusives is produced by Offside Productions and edited by Lucy Lavery. Put your feet up with over a thousand like Deadpool 2. Great, sorted. Relax with over a thousand movies and 300 box sets streaming on Now TV. 18 plus month passes auto renew terms apply. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.